I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Lena Morgan. Hi. It's us. Oh, it's no. It's our podcast. It's us. We're the problem. <laughs> and we have been for many years. We are song versus song. Thank you for listening, everyone. This one is a good one. This is our final episode of the year. And as always, at the end of every year, we try to do a matchup with at least one song from the year. This one comes to us from Lena because I couldn't think of anything. We are doing Taylor Swift's Antihero versus Harry Styles' As It Was. Battle of the Self-Loathers. <laughs> Relatable content. Let's oh. go. Oh, I hear a third voice in here. What's going on? Hi there, folks. It's Mark, the host of Spectrum Pulse. And I'm very grateful that Ton and Lena invited me back on to this uh, shenanigans. Because we talked to Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish last year. I have more complicated feelings this year. Uh, we all have complicated feelings. I mean, these are two songs about complicated feelings, really. One of them, I think, is more complicated than the other. I agree. Actually, one of those, is, one of these songs can't, I mean, like, one of these people is all surface, and then the other is Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, wait, Sorry, spoilers everybody. here. I know, no, just diving right in. You can tell that the, uh, this one was one Lena picked, because I actually had one on the back burner for Taylor versus Harry that I don't know when we're going to get to, but I really, really wanted to do Taylor Swift's style versus One Direction's perfect. Ah. Yes, because they're about each other. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about that in the slightest. I'm glad that we've ducked that. Someday I, I know that my number will come up and we'll have to do it, but like the fact that they dated is the least interesting thing to me about literally anything. I don't care. I mean, we've been avoiding Taylor for the longest time. Yes, and that's for very different reasons. Have you guys done a Taylor Swift episode before? No. Oh, we talked not. about her. <laughs> and whenever there's a whenever there's an award show, you can bet that she will come up. Yeah. And the internet will hate me because <laughs> I I'll try to say one nice thing and one critical thing and whatever the critical <laughs> thing I say is is wrong always. We've only been doing this a couple of years. You are still <laughs> new to the uh the horrors of the internet stan world. Uh, we've been been doing this podcast for four years uh, I still have tons more experience dealing with uh, the Swifties and do Harry's fans have a name yet does he have have diehard fans Uh, he he absolutely does I think it's a little less than you might imagine considering how big he is but they are there I just don't know stylers stylists I'm assuming they're offshoots of like the One Direction crowd that didn't Develop taste and jump over to Nile. So, yeah, Larry Shippers. Oh, that's Liam. That's uh, that's Harry and Liam. And Liam turned into a total asshole. So, no. <laughs> oh, well, I have written a lot of fanfic about how they can turn that situation around. <laughs> no. <laughs> <sighs> you know, it, 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 of course, that, you know, when we finally do a Taylor episodes, it's with one of her exes. That seemed pretty inevitable. Because there's so many of them. I think we can make the assessment that neither of them really think about each other that much anymore. Taylor seems to be on pretty good terms with Harry in that they are not actively at war with each other. Yep. And just like Taylor seems to be pretty cool with Joe and his new wife. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all fine. It's all good. I don't know. I think style and perfect are like... Probably my two favorite songs by either of them. So that is fascinating because uh, 
I would flagrantly disagree with both assessments, actually. Yeah. (laughs) But granted, I'm coming at this from someone who has not exactly found Harry Styles that interesting since his second album. Um, Because I you were way warmer on Adore You than I was. I thought I was I I was way warmer than on Adore You than a lot of people. Yeah, I, I. like overall, I, I heard that album and I'm like, that was a very good sleep aid. I needed that at the end of 2019. Um, and 2022, this, I don't know if you saw the article. I think Stephen Hyden wrote it over at Uproxx specifically about how Harry Styles is the nicest guy, but he has no personality. And it kind of ties back to some of those elements of the old teen idols that for at least for the self-titled album, you had a moment saying he could kind of transcended it was all bowie plagiarisms and very obvious ones but like it there was a chance there and now what happened (laughs) i am going to be straight i like as it was a lot Mm -hmm. or at least i did uh the first uh between the second i mean between the 10th and 100th time i liked it a lot by um the first seven or eight times, it didn't really do anything for me. And as we grind towards the end of the year, I'm like, do I really ever need to hear this song again? It's but like for a while there, I was really high up on it. I don't know where I am anymore. Mm. The, the Harry Styles experience has kind of taken a turn for me. It might have been the don't worry, darling. I don't know. I didn't see Don't Worry Darling. I've heard it's a really bad, like, Stepford Wives riff, and I kind of got sick of that for a while ago, so... Wait till you find out. The suburbs are not exactly what they seem. No. It has my favorite trope, though, which What's I won't that? say in case any... Well, all right. If, you've, if you haven't seen it, plug up your ears. Um, the, the, the twist is, if you die in the game, you die for real. <laughs> That's a classic. You can't beat if you die in the game, you die for real. You can't beat that. <laughs> okay. Well... I would still say as it was is a good song. But yes. let me let me take the temperature of the room. Do you think Taylor Swift's latest chart topper is better? Absolutely. Not close. Not cl- oh not close at all. Okay. No. Um so look, my perspective is this. Harry Styles put out a song that does what a pop song is supposed to do. Mhm. I can sing along to it before I get to the end of listening to it for the first time. <laughs> I want to hear it a couple hundred times before I'm sick of it. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's not doing anything too complicated. That's the one thing. It's the one part of the the the, um, the recipe that it's missing. But other than that, it does what pop music is meant to do. And I like it. I like it a lot. But here's the thing. Harry Styles is a sexy baby. <laughs> <laughs> And I am. Oh, that's the moment. That's the moment right there. I am but a mon- I am I am but a monster on a hill. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, like, yes, my opinion is that Antihero is more interesting. It's a little over full on the lyrics, but I think I like if it's about like which one do I get the stronger feeling from? Um, that's not just my lizard brain. It's definitely Antihero. I was. Uh on a plane when uh anti-hero dropped or at least like that week and i was too busy to listen to it when the plane landed i was like "Ah, better get around to the fucking taylor thing and i turned it on 
And I'm not sure how impressed I was with the album, but when I got to Antihero, I was just like holding my mouth as I w- we were waiting to d- disembark. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I don't know what I feel about it, but I am stunned by so many of the choices made here. I think positively, but I uh, that first listen, I didn't know what to make of it at all. The funny thing with Antihero is that it was a song, even though it was intended as the lead off single, I struggled to call it the best song on the album on first couple of listens. Like it was right next to Maroon, which I think is phenomenal. Um, I, it was near, but like Snow on the Beach is a Lana Del Rey song I didn't immediately hate, which is a big step <laughs> for me. Um, and then the album ends with Mastermind, which is oh, incredible, great. incredible song. And then I spent 25 minutes talking about uh, Midnight's on my main channel, which is more time than I expected to give it. And ultimately, you're lucky, Todd, that you were on the plane because you missed the discourse around Antihero. Oh, just because I wasn't listening to music doesn't mean I didn't see the discourse, Mark. (laughs) Do we want to wade into that or can we table that as much as possible? Go where you feel this discussion needs to go, Mark. This yeah, if is- you have something you want to say, if you want, if you want to go there, go ahead. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to come up with uh, something that's a little bit different with Antihero that really struck me because I was marathoning a TV show at the same time. Antihero puts me in the same mindset as watching Succession because the more I because a I'm almost positive Taylor has seen it. B, because mm-hmm. B, I think Taylor Swift is a little bit more pop culture sobby than we give her credit because the sexy baby line, obvious 30 Rock reference. I am not so certain it's a direct 30 Rock reference or if, uh, I mean, <laughs> we know that Taylor Swift is not a Tina Fey fan. Yeah, well, I know. She, they, her and Amy Poehler kind of buried the hatchet, so we don't know. Okay. Maybe, maybe things are better. We have no idea. I mean, like, there is a special place in hell. For women that don't support other women, Todd. <laughs> oh, but also I, keep amazing. in mind, like that's that's 2017, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Something that I think we also are going to have to talk about if we're talking Absolutely. about this album. Absolutely, I agree with you there. And the one thing that I will say with it is that uh, Todd, you've you've seen all of Succession, right? Of course. Okay. So the reference. And yes, I absolutely like when I got to that third verse, I was like, "Haha, Taylor imagines herself as a Logan Roy." Like, yes, I absolutely saw that. Well, here's what I wasn't actually going there at all. I think Taylor thinks that she's Shiv in season one and is terrified of being Shiv in season three. I do do see that because Shiv in season one was the, uh, you know, the the moral high and mighty. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm better than the rest of you. I'm not like a piece of scum Mm -hmm. like my rich family. She is awful. She. Yep. (laughs) Arguably, she is already awful in season one, but she is like no bones about it by season three. Yep. But also by the end of season three, you realize that this is a character who is going to be beholden to someone who she knows is not her equal. Wait, is a uh, who's Shiv's uh, husband? Tom. Tom. Does, do you think Joe Al- Alwyn Alwyn is Tom? Um, I remember hearing Sweet Nothing. And I remember parts of there. There's references across that album that always imply a little bit more friction than I think is given credit. The funny thing about that song is that people always hone in on the sexy baby line. And it's not the worst line in that song for me. Like, I understand. It's certainly not the worst line on that album. It's a it's a weird line. The sexy baby thing is weird. But like. Mm -hmm. At least ultimately, I feel it's like it scans okay. Whereas 
Did you hear my covert narcissism? I disguise as altruism like some kind of congressman. Ugh. Oh, is you know, awful. I hadn't thought it's my, about it's it. It's my least favorite line in the whole song. Like, I just find it to be so clunky and so, like, what? What? I get the feeling she was watching the election and she wanted, or the lead up to the 2022 midterms. And like, I'm going to be like kind of pithy and trying to follow it. That's the feel of how that line was structured. I don't know. She, I, it sounds like someone trying to show off their rhyming skills. It's a, it's a little Lin-Manuel Miranda ish. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually. And, 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 and to be clear, like Taylor Swift has done political things that have been good. I just, I just don't know that. I, yes, true. But I don't know that I really it just didn't work in this song. That's what I should say. This line is not a good line. I mean, I, I, I like the point. There are a lot of people who get all high and mighty to look like they're a genuine hero, but are only doing it for their own ego. And a lot of these people end up in politics. Some of them end up as pop stars. I don't buy that Taylor thinks of herself as a fake altruist. Well, that's the thing about that line also is that when she says, did you hear my covert narcissism? Like, did you hear is not her saying like from the voices in my head, it's her saying like, did you hear on the internet that even when I try to do good, it's still bad. That's like the most reputation era line in this song (laughs) for me. Right that real stab at people that like, even when she's trying or like not good enough, bitch, like that line is to me like almost like taking reputation and being like, you know what I can, if it's there in a small dose, I think it works kind of, it's just, you can't have it be a whole record. The funny thing is that that's actually something I really like about that. I like about that line because I, there is so much of reputation that bleeds onto this album, uh, like bleeds onto midnight's. Um, the self-referencing elements, the the slightly overwrought tone, the weird balance between maturity and karma is a cat. And there's and the one thing that I think also the rampant alcohol abuse, which I don't think has ever been coherently discussed with Taylor enough. But also, I think the one thing that comes out with this is that it's finally it's finally trying to own the elements on on reputation where she was trying to play the heel turn. She couldn't pull it off. This is not quite a heel turn, but she's trying now to own where she is at in a way that at least implies more action than what than what Harry Styles does, which feels kind of inert. I wonder how people will feel about reputation retroactively because of midnights honestly i've talked to some swifty fans um the ones that love reputation and there's a lot of them there um, are they adore this album i don't always think for the right reasons well i like it because it feels to me as though it's reputation but with a little more Mm self-awareness that's the good thing about it you know i do see how you know, we had this little break and I understand like the people that didn't like Midnight's as much didn't like it as much because they really liked the previous two records, right? Our the pandemic pandemic era Taylor. People the pandering. really Yeah. Oh, uh, those are I mean, let's be fair, those are awards bait albums. Oh, absolutely. They are, but there are people that really liked them and that wanted more of that on Midnight's. And Midnight's has none of that except for like, there's like maybe one or two tracks on the bonus tracks. 
that have got that vibe, but otherwise it's not really to me like anything off of the previous two records. I actually disagree a little with that because I think the elements that I loved most on Folklore and Evermore are the quasi-opulent, quasi-preppy messiness that is just out of frame behind the painted smiles that really comes to bear on the best parts of Midnight's. Like, the parts, like, my favorite songs on Folklore is, like, This Is Me Trying. My favorite song on Evermore was Champagne Problems, where she's trying to fit herself into a world that has very strict boundaries for how she is to behave, and she has out of patience for it. And I think that's more interesting. I don't, it's interesting because I don't, when it comes to Midnight's, some of the singles, the tracks that people expected to get a lot of attention, the ones that I don't like as much. Like Bejeweled? Don't like that song. I don't either. I don't get it. Like, I feel like I should like it and I don't. And I don't, Snow on the Beach, I just, I don't feel like, it's all that much to write home about. Like, you know what I would compare that song to a little bit? To me, it feels like some of the lesser than, but still attempted singles off of The Loneliest Time. You know, like a, mm. oh. like, a like, like, like a Beach House or a Western Wind, where it's like, mm. these are tracks that clearly somebody thought were going to be hits, but I just don't really think there's enough to them that give them bite. By the way, I feel like Carly Jepsen is the quiet third-party vote in here. <laughs> this, this poor person who put out an album the same day that Midnight's came out and suffered the consequences. I'd say she's the fourth party because Tegan and Sarah also dropped an album that oh, same that's day. True. That was pure hyper-pop, and it's phenomenal. <sighs> Listen. I don't know. If we're, ta- if we're talking about uh, pandemic... <laughs> music that was clearly made during the pandemic and is of famous people losing their minds like midnights. And I guess as it was, although we were going to have to go back to that one. Cause that's such a weird song. Uh, you put post Malone in there also like that was a bleak, bleak album. Like, yeah. Like I wish it was that, more of like, like wasting angels and the song you did with fleet foxes the, yeah. Uh, again, another album that is consumed with alcohol abuse. <laughs> oh, you mean the one that says with the song "Love Hate Letter to Alcohol" or whatever it was? Yeah, he's just. I picked up on that because there was a song called <laughs> "Love Hate Letter to Alcohol." Yeah. See if you look closely. <laughs> I think when we look back at this year, there's going to be a, a whole lot of like pandemic hangover themes throughout the entire year. Um, 2022 is such an interesting year musically, I think, because. There's a lot, so like it was not, I feel like not a lot in the front half. And then somewhere around May, absolutely nothing. Like all of a sudden, everything happened at once. But what was really interesting to me is that the music that I liked the most was all stuff that I didn't expect, sometimes from artists I'd never even heard of before. Whereas the albums that I was excited about going in were the ones that, I mean, I guess were predestined to be disappointments, but like, some of them were really, really disappointing. Uh, and as we get into it, we'll talk about Harry's House, which to me was one of the great disappointments of the year. Let's as dump on Harry's record. House for a bit. Let's dump on that album because I'm okay. entirely prepared for this. I think this album is so goddamn dull. The one song I think is redeemable is Little Freak, mostly because of that line. I spilled I spilled my beer on her and I'm not sorry, which is the first time Harry Styles showcased a personality. And... I like as it was as a song. The problem for me is, and this is a a distinctly me problem, 
There is a post-punk synth-pop band from 2015 called Lower Dens, and there's a song called To Die in L.A. that has the exact same goddamn synth riff as is on As It Was. It is It annoys the hell out of me. It is one of my favorite songs of 2015, and then Harry basically like, yeah, it's the same synth line. I'm like, okay, you're cheating now. You know, that's funny because the, uh, when As It Was dropped, I saw someone release a bingo card of of bands between 2008 and 2015 that you could compare it to the indie buzz bands from between Peter Bjorn and John and yeah. like Foster the People mm-hmm. like that you could uh, say this was reminded you of and you know you talk about like what a weird dead zone this was for the first half of the year like when as it was dropped it was such a breath of fresh air because we were like looking for like when's the year going to start and then, like, The weekend dropped something that didn't really catch on. Unfortunately. Post Malone, I think, had maybe released, had released it yet. I can't remember. He was but after. Like, okay. But, like, when Harry dropped as it was, this is like, there we are. Yeah. We, a, you know, the was, season has started. It was a real bummer, too, because to me, like, there was so little out there that the first half of the year was a thing that I, for a brief moment, was like, oh, I get to celebrate Kim Petras. Slut Pop, this is a fun record. And I had it on a loop for like a month. And then I was Unholy like, wait. Happened. And then everything else happened. And then like literally just like not even a month ago, like two weeks ago as of when we're recording, it happened again. And I was like, fool me once, bitch. <laughs> I was like, well, that's the uh, end of that. Way to go. Thanks, thanks, I'll pal. Eat. And I did. I and- loved Slut Pop. Like for, a, for a, an EP, I really like, I enjoyed listening to it. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, there was like, just not a lot happening at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Well, Kim needs to get off social media, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Good Pretty news. Soon we will Good all news, be forced everyone. to we'll, get off social media. It'll so. be gone. <laughs> yep. All works out. I think we can all agree, like, as it was, is not what we expected Harry to drop. No. I mean, like, it, just lyrically, like, I think there is, like, something going on in there lyrically as it was. He sounds like he's... This doesn't the man who wrote this does not sound like a beautiful 28 year old pop star. He a sounds sexy baby. No, <laughs> no, he, he sounds like this sounds like something like, I don't know, like some of much more middle aged, like Phil Collins or Don Henley or, or something like when they were big. Like it's a it's a divorced dad song. Yes. Well, the entire album has very divorced dad energy or slumped on your lawn chair with three bottles of wine energy. We've all been there. Um, Yeah. But and I think that to me kind of works against it, because, again, Harry Styles, when he went solo, started with Sign of the Times, a song that I still really love, even though I don't think I I know. I know. Um, But at the same 2017 was weird. Um, Wasn't it just? (laughs) It was. Like, but and my and my picks on that list are weird. Two of my favorites of that year, um, but I think the thing what happened is that you had that moment that felt like it was such a it's such a force of personality. Whereas as it was, feels like a retreat away from a personality, or and it implies more details than it actually lays out. It almost seems like he's caught in a stasis where he knows the world is passing him by. Answer the phone, Harry. You're no good alone. <laughs> yeah. Why are you sitting at home on the floor? What kind of pills are you on? Mm-hmm. I relate to that, except no one's asking <laughs> with concern about me. Mm. Um, oh no, it's, it's I'm, an, I'm, I'm sorry. 
Todd, are you okay? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm great. I definitely care. No, I'm uh, a little about six months late, Lena. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Uh, and there are, there are plenty of details like uh, go home, get ahead, uh, light speed internet, Ugh. leave America, two kids follower. I don't have any clue what that any of that is about. Apparently that light speed fo- internet line is. <laughs> Ugh. I agree. Uh, the one thing apparently people are talking about that is tied to his parents' divorce, like something around that. Huh. I've heard some people imply that. Um, I'm not sure how that fits in with the rest of the album outside of this weird feeling of adolescence that's all over that album and it feels very misplaced. I don't know. I enjoyed Harry's house and I was like, this is, you know, didn't knock me out or anything. I don't think it has like an adore you on there, except maybe the song we're talking about. But like, like I said, like the more I had to hear it, the less enamored I was with it. And I, I'm more, I came over to you guys side, and I'm like, this is, I just, it's I don't know, such something, a, something kind of hollow about it. It's a real nothing burger of an album, except like there are a couple tracks that I like. Matilda is about by, by the, the highlight for me. Really? Like by a lot. Matilda's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like the one, I, the one that isn't the big shiny disco song. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like lo- the entire rest of the album. I like late night talking. I like as Late it night was. talking is still good. I think. Yeah. I don't think that song's good at all. I, Interesting. <laughs> I, th- I, I thought it was a step down from as it was. I agree. But it's much, much better for than music for a sushi restaurant. But well, yes, that is, <laughs> it's funny. Like that. I really, really, yes, I don't music for a sushi restaurant. Say no more, say no more. Um, but <laughs> I will say, um, on the list of songs that I mean, I'm assuming didn't really trend anywhere. Cinema, I think, is probably my lowest. I fucking hate that track. It's you've got you've got the cinema. It's gross. It makes me <laughs> listening to it actually makes the bile rise in me. The lyrics are truly nasty. I don't need it. Stop, Harry. I, is, you are such a sexy baby, but like you have you have made me sick to my stomach thinking I of you. I didn't know that was possible. Is it is it just because you dislike Olivia Wilde so much? No, it has nothing to do with that. Like, because here's the thing: I don't. The thing is, I don't hate Olivia Wilde. I don't like that situation. I don't like what she said about it. That's it. I don't know her as a person. I don't care. She said one thing. I don't agree with it, and I have no idea what her relationship was like with Harry. Also, none of my business. Oh, they'll be back. Do they have no, to be? They're, they're, no, they're absolutely not going to be back. Actually, what am I talking about? I don't care. I don't know nothing about these people. I have like Harry Styles has somehow like the more drama he's involved with, the less interesting he becomes. You know what? You're absolutely right with that, because, again, I think that he is trying so hard to project that he is interesting. He wants to be Josh Tillman and he's just not. He's a uh, it's becoming a less than the sum of his parts, certainly. Yeah. And versus Taylor Swift, who's the exact opposite, who has like benefited at least career wise so much from the constant drama she is involved with. Like it has made her like an, a fascinating person to most people, not necessarily people in this room, but like, I mean, no one, I don't, no one else in my, you know, in the last 10 years has attracted more attention than Taylor Swift. Huge. Not even her nemesis, Kanye and Kim. Yeah. But like, look, (laughs) or Kanye slash and also Kim since they are separate now. But anyway, yes, I think that, She's she just got better at handling that. Right. Because like we're talking about 
this album, Midnight's, which I think as far as the lyrics are concerned and like what the topic of the songs are, they are a little more introspective. But the other thing that's happening is that she's re-releasing all of these albums, which is the most spiteful thing anyone has ever done. And, and I would argue one of the most brilliant things that a songwriter who has lost the rights to her albums has ever done. Like it's, Petty in a way that we all aspire to be, and I love her for it, unabashedly. To be fair, Scooter Braun deserves all of this. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's the thing is that Taylor gets, like, there are a lot of times in the past where, because Taylor is perceived as being so big, which is why in the music video one of the three Taylors is a giant, right? Monster mm-hmm. on a Hill, Godzilla, yeah. that you can't, that she seems unlikable, right? That's that's the that's the pitch. And I've certainly been guilty of that feeling. But this was the time when she was right to be like, no, I'm the underdog. My shit got stole <laughs> and I'm going to fucking come back and I'm going to say you shouldn't have messed with me. You fucked with the wrong one. And have everybody be on her side for the most part. I'm going to actually push back and say that I don't I don't think that she's an underdog in, in a lot of what she's doing. But I think at this is the I, I struggle to find a lot of her work relatable early on, with the exception of Speak Now, her best album. But basically coming off of that, oh, there was a period I think bizarrely it clicked on Lover was the first album that really resonated with me. And I know it's not one of her better albums, but um, songs like the according to many, it's her worst. I disagree fervently with that. I, I, I'm the guy who doesn't like red at all. So, oh, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm just so glad to not be along with with opinions that no one's gonna like. For once, what clicked? I have been with. I have been fighting the Swifties for a decade. There is nothing that can that can tame me here. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, like there's a part of where Swift stopped trying to be relatable. And bizarrely, paradoxically, by writing about more adult subject matter, became relatable. Or at least became interesting enough that I cared. Well, we also, again, like, it's a pandemic thing, isn't it, to a degree? Like, I watch Antihero and, like, Taylor Swift's only friends are two other versions of herself. Yep. And I will tell Mm -hmm. you there are times that I have been sitting for the last two and a half years in this apartment and felt like I was just having weird conversations fully disassociated with myself, right? Like I feel like a lot of people have been there. So if ever there were a time to relate to a person that like is just disconnected from the world, it's pandemic time. You know, I had come to the same conclusion that I've I've always been a little separate from the Taylor Swift phenomenon as much as I've talked about her because, and I was like, why why am I not so enchanted with, you know, uh, especially those first few albums, Fearless and Speak Now and stuff. Like, why is that not do it for me the way it does for other people? And I, you know, it's like, well, I guess I just don't relate to where I'm not a teenage girl. But and, I, you know, I'm also not like a super driven, tightly wound human being like Taylor Swift. I, I this should not be relatable at all to me. But one thing I do know is being a deranged insomniac. I listen to, you know, Midnight's and I, I recognize a lot of my thought patterns in there. Like the the stuff that would like where you start to spiral out and you're just not making any sense and you say things like sexy baby and no one knows what the fuck you're talking about or they wouldn't know if you were talking to anybody, which you're not. Another thing I like about another thing I like about that album specifically and Antihero plays into this is that she is aware of her own negative impulses to make a scene and be a melodramatic bitch. And I mean that affectionately. 
like there's going to be song there's going to be songs like question there's going to be songs like where she is where she wants to make a scene in the places where she's not supposed to and i like that she still presses through and goes through in the bad taste regardless i kind of love that vigilante shit is on that album because oh, it is it is trashy it is tumblr core circa 2014 and i love it for it cuz she's cuz at this point that is part of her that is aspiring to be mature, but also isn't quite there. And if that's not relatable to the adult experience, I don't know what is. I listen, I vigilante shit is a great track, but I've got weird taste. I feel like when it comes to this record, I've had, I mean, look, I don't even know cause I don't look as much, but I love you're on your own kid. And I assume that that's insipid and everybody hates it. I would be my assumption. That's probably my, might actually be my favorite track on that whole album. I love it. Well, no, Mastermind is is it. That's yeah. number one for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I would put um, I would put your own kid, your own your own kid after that, and then Antihero. I really do like most of the tracks. I think that like it's interesting that you like Maroon so much because I like Lavender Haze and Maroon, but I feel like the album doesn't really start to find itself until a little after that. Like those songs just feel ethereal to me in a way that I sometimes struggle to engage with. We haven't talked about producers much, and this is where things get interesting because so many people hated Jack Antonoff producing for Taylor Swift on this album. Yep. I fervently disagree because, A, this is the least Jack Antonoff thing that he's put out in the past decade. And this is someone who who has listened and loves Bleachers and has seen him live twice. Oh, you mean yourself? I I was like, yes, I would imagine <laughs> Jack, Jack Antonoff. Jack Antonoff loves Bleachers. He's a big fan. <laughs> Yeah, well, again, like he's the thing with Jack Antonov is that he's he only works with what he's given. Like he was he's behind Norman fucking Rockwell and he was also behind Solar Power. Yeah, there's a bit of a wildly uh, seesawing reception between them. He was also behind Reputation. Yes, I was about to say he's behind Look What You Made Me Do, which um, I said on Twitter and I'll say it here. That song is terrible and I like it very much. All right. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, it's, 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 it's pure, me. it's pure camp and I get what it does. I will never call it the worst song of any given year because there's too much respect for me of having a, tra- of, a truly terrible theater. I, let me say, I listened to the full Midnight's album and I definitely got where people were coming from because over the course of the album, the, it, it did st- sound kind of samey to me. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure these songs come together as a whole, but I have definitely heard all, all these songs separately a bunch of times since then. And they all they all I feel like they all hold up separately. So I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I get where people are coming from with the anti Antonoff thing. Anti Noff. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree, but I, I get it. Anybody that works that much, I think, is just going to face a backlash. And Antonoff works. I think I there's know. also some residual hatred to Jack Antonoff because he dated Lena Dunham for several years. Another Taylor, uh, Taylor friend. Gosh. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to touch that one. I was going to say, I was, gonna say I was like, you know what you're saying right now? Say less. Yep. <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm so anything. good. I said that they are friends, which they yep. are. Okay. So, yeah. mm-hmm. You can come to your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Swift hasn't always had the best taste in friends, but she'd rather stare to the sun instead of in the mirror. What a Mm. great line. And that's the thing, right? Like the stuff that's in Antihero that I love, like for how jam-packed it is with lyrics, 
that means it's going to have some mediocre stuff. It's going to have a couple clunkers, but the stuff that's great is and, great. And the thing is that like it comes out with a banger, right? Like first lyrics. I have this thing where I get older, but just never wise, wiser. And then when my depression works, the graveyard shift. All the people I've got all the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. Holy shit. That's a fucking pandemic lyric if ever there was. It might be one of the all-time best pandemic lyrics. That absolutely destroyed me the first time I heard it, and I have not gotten over how good that line is. Yeah, welcome to your 30s, Taylor. It gets worse. (laughs) I'm kind of looking forward to that. Like, not going to lie, I kind of think that Taylor, now in her mature, messy bag, is exactly the era of Taylor I want to hear from her going forward. When you said producers, who, who produced Harry's House? Uh, I've got that right in front of me. Uh, Tyler Johnson and Kid Harpoon. Who? Okay, so Kid Harpoon has done a lot of work with within the not within the One Direction camp or people who have sprayed out of it, with the exception of Zane. But we don't talk about Zane. Um, mm-hmm. um, he's also no, no, no. Yep. Kid, Kid Harpoon. <laughs> Kid Harpoon has also done a lot of work alongside, I believe he's done some work with Sean Mendez, some work with Justin Bieber. Um, he's well-connected enough. Tyler Johnson, I want to say, let me pull up some of his credits. Tyler Johnson's been with, with Harry all the way, um, with the exception of, and this is really funny to me, um, he produced for the pop country artist Cam for a while. I know her, yeah. She's like her second album got wildly slept on because it was delayed by three years and she ran into label troubles, but that album was fucking incredible. You know, you mentioned Sean Mendez, who I guess arguably could have been that guy, the the big sexy baby. And like his career has taken a weird turn. I mean, I'm not going to speculate, but like what I think of uh, Sean Mendez, I think of his really terrible attempts to be more relatable uh, monster and stuff like that. And then Bieber followed him down that path. A lot of pop stars who would be holding that hairy space have been trying to be more, you know, personal, more relatable. You need to know what their thoughts are. And it all sucked. It was all very bad. Not everyone can be a tailor and let you into her world. And the more I think about it, I was like, can't, can't Harry just be the sexy baby. Can't just like know what his strengths are and do that. I think I can make a case for it now that I think about it more. Like sometimes, sometimes personality can be a little overrated. I think so. He's like the Tayo Cruz or the Fabio. And, <laughs> the Tayo Cruz, yes. Like maybe Tayo Cruz was never going to be the biggest name in the world, but if you put on dynamite and you put on Break Your Heart, everyone's going to blow up for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. That. Thank you. Thank you for helping me uh, work this thought out for myself. <laughs> yeah, this is a thing that you could. Uh... You could have taken the therapy, I feel. Could what? Take what? I, I don't need to have a personality. Sometimes not having a personality is good. <laughs> no, I've got tons of personality. It's true. Um, I anchor this podcast, Lena. Yes, that's true. Well, I mean, one of us has economy of words, and then mm-hmm. the other one has too many lyrics. Like... <laughs> Look, all I'm, are say- you, are you, all I'm saying to are you are is Are we still this. talking about the songs? <laughs> it must be exhausting. Always rooting for the anti-hero, Todd. Well, I I don't know which of us you're, you're referring to, but I feel like it is exhausting to be a fan of either of us. That's so. a, that is factually <laughs> correct. Um, I have no clue how my fans have stuck around for a decade. That's, a, that's another interesting lyric because I feel like 
it must be exhausting rooting for the anti-hero. Like she knows she has people rooting for her. Yeah, for sure. And she feels like she's let them down. Here's the thing that I find interesting. The first time I heard the song, uh, you know, and I wrote this down as a note. In fact, it's like the first note I wrote was, does Taylor Swift understand what an anti-hero is? Oh, I think she absolutely knows what an anti-hero is. I think she is correct that she has never been able to be the hero that she wants to be. Do you think that she is successfully... So, like, is the answer that she just becomes... Did she just embrace being anti-hero? And if that's the case, do you think that she succeeded in doing that with Midnight's? I honestly want her to do that. And I think she kind of started on reputation in the moments that are a little less remembered, like songs like Delicate, like the moments that the moments where it's like this for the best. My reputation has never been worst. And she she knows she can't sell the villain. She knows that songs like I did something bad and look at what you made me do. They're, they're not really working. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. So like she knows she's putting on she's putting on a performance there, and but in behind the lines, there's like she's trying to she still inherently believes she is a good person, and I kind of like by the time we get to midnight, she's like, no, I'm not especially good, and I have power, and that places me in a fascinating position. I think the elements that Taylor Swift has as much power as she does really puts Midnight's in a fascinating context. I, I am curious where she goes from here. There is a, I don't know, it feels like this is a completion of something, you know? I would agree. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess her next project is whatever movie she's going to make. Apparently, so. she's, the next album she's re recording is 1989, which is weird to me. Hey, hey, hey. Get ready for this. Sick beat. <laughs> One of your all-time favorite songs. I'm yeah. just looking forward to when we get a re-recording of Clean and everyone can acknowledge that that song is a classic. All right. Wow. I mean, look, Out of the Woods is, I think, always and forever in the top five for me. For Taylor, I have always loved that song. Um, and I think it was like the first track that she released off of 1989, wasn't it? That was like the nope, first one. it was Shake It Off. Was it really? God, that song, that fucking song. <laughs> yeah, Out of the that Woods is, is like number f- like five or six. Was it really? Okay, here's what four, I remember. Okay. I remember playing Shake It Off every day that I worked at a comic book store because I had gone back briefly. I was working in a comic book shop and I played it several times a day every day that I worked specifically to make everybody miserable. It's me. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that is uh that is less than anti-heroic. That is that is actually villainous. So. Well, Taylor aspired during reputation to be as vile as me. It's never happening. But <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, so true, so true. But but out of the woods was the was the track that I I kept going back to, and I was like, there's something about that reputation that 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 repetitiveness of the track, right? Like the way that it keeps cycling through, cycling through. Repetition, yes. I love that. I love that so much. When that's done right in a song, it's like my favorite fucking thing. And goddamn, is that good? That's truly probably my top five favorite Taylor songs. Whereas I, I just, lo- I just love Clean because it's got Image and Heap that basically co-wrote it, and Image and Heap is a goddess. So you know, that's a that's a the first big uh, award bait collab went under the radar, I guess. But that put 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 her on the road to working with Haim and Bon Iver and the National and all that. I mean, right. I guess Imogen Heap's kind of in her own space now where she's just inventing instruments. Like she put out like a weird instrumental like art piece album this year that's like two parts in like two hours. And I'm like, 
I will get to this, but it's going to be the sort of thing where I just sit and relax with it in like six months. All right. You want to do it? Question time. I think I, th- I think we're all I think I'm higher on as it was than the rest of you guys. I think I'm still it's it's still pretty clearly anti-heroes. The, the one for me. But. Yeah. All right. Well, let's we do this thing at the, at the midway point or three quarters of the way through where we ask these questions. Hopefully after all this garble talking and talking and talking, we can focus everything up. Question number one. One of these songs is going away. Like it never happened, like a bad dream. The other one's going to stick around. For the culture, Mark, which song has to stay? The thing is, is that I know as it was is the one that's going to stick around. I think Antihero is too pithy. It's too, it's it's got it's too prickly of a song that will ultimately stick with a lot of people. As it was is easy. As it was is more universal. I think it has more. I think it'll have more longevity and it drives me nuts. I mean, as it was, is a pretty smooth drink. Yep. It's a very easy to listen to song. And, you know, it's hard to do like for the culture, what has to stay for these year ends when we don't know exactly how these songs are going to age. But it does feel like Harry needs, as it was, a lot more than Taylor needs Antihero. Antihero is like a, her first big hit hit in a while. Mm-hmm. Like arguably since 1989, the the album, not the year. But Yeah, I, I would agree. I don't know. I do feel like Antihero is really important for her in the sense that, I don't know, I just listened to it and I was like, okay, I understand you after many years of... <laughs> Sometimes liking you and sometimes not, but never really being like, I understand Taylor Swift. This is the first time I listened to a song and I was like, okay, we're on the same page, you and me. I mean, not really. You're very <laughs> fucking rich and I'm broke, but like, I've, I get it. I get it. Game, game sees game. Um, so I, that seems really important to me personally. I don't know. The thing about As It Was is that there are so many songs that sound just like it. As you mentioned, that there's literally a song that like just is just that. It just it, has that same synth. It's called "To Die in L.A." It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, don't read too much into the title or the music video. Um, it's just absolutely. It's a phenomenal song. But at the same time, I also know how the radio works. I know that Swift is as confrontational as she is. That's one of the reasons I love the song. Like I think the song has necessarily lodged itself into a smaller audience. And I think on the one hand, that's great as someone who's a music critic. I'm like, that's fine. I'm entirely on board with it, which entirely makes a little, which on the side note makes the, makes the critical acceptance and the cultural ubiquity of the song feel very weird to me. Cause I don't think a lot of people get the song as deeply as they should. Could be, but yeah, I don't know. It's really tough to say like, yes, you're right in the sense of radio play. That's a song that you'll hear forever, much like the other song that I hear people compare it with, which is Take On Me, right? Like, that's a song that just, like... I don't think it sounds like Take On Me. I don't I've know. Heard, I mean, I I've heard hear multiple that. people say that. Um, and I, no, no, everyone says that. Everyone says that, and I think you're wrong. They are but, wrong. I just, in the it's end, the I just... the same key. I don't even think it's in the same key. It does, I mean, the the thing is that it goes... 
So like the rhythm is there, but the the melody is completely different. So I, mean, I don't. I I agree with you, but what I think is there's something about it that for me, what I would say is like that song, or like, I don't know, like a lot of '80s tunes that you're not really sure that you're gonna really give a shit about the band as a whole. You know that that song is just gonna go on forever and ever mm. and ever. And like if somebody plays it on the radio, like if you just turn it on, and it's on. You're gonna blast it and sing along, like. It's like that. It's got that vibe to it that Take On Me has. It has like, I don't know, literally, I was going to say Come On Eileen, but these songs are nothing alike. But like Come On Eileen, <laughs> like who's listening to Dexy's Midnight run, Runner on the on the reg except for big music nerds, right? Or you Don't know? You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Right. Like these tracks. Both these bands were huge in the UK. <laughs> Yeah, but not, not like but not here in America. Nobody cares. I'm Canadian. Nobody cares so. about what the UK cares. Nobody cares. The UK doesn't count. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I mean, uh, I can anyway. say the safety dance, but like, <laughs> yeah. But the bottom line is that yes, it. I think that if we tried to take it out, if we were like, this song's going away, it just wouldn't. It would be like, no, <laughs> we don't have that power, even in our our imaginary universe where we do. Yeah, I think it would just it would somehow come back. The weird thing about the Hot 100 this year is that we got the return of a song that should have been huge in America. This year, uh, back in the 80s, and wasn't, and that's Kate Bush with Running Up That Hill. That is true. It's been a long ride for Running Up That Hill. What a what a wild thing, because there is that stuff that's like very 80s driven, and yet I would say on the whole, at least from what I've listened to and what I've seen of culture in general, is that 2022 was like, hey, did you like the 90s? <laughs> Hope so, because it's fucking everywhere. And the 80s, apparently. I guess so. so, but like the the '90s was really. I mean, I, I if you go to clothing stores, it's mm. just it's just what what you okay. <laughs> I do, and I can tell you that it's just what people were wearing in the '90s, which is great for me. You but, know what it reminds me of a little bit. It feels like and Todd, you might appreciate this. Twenty twenty two feels a lot like nineteen ninety one, where there's a lot of like spurting ideas, but none of them feel fully developed. And there's a but, and there has we haven't reached that crux point where something was going to smash in and define something new. I get what you mean. I guess that's true. I'm not sure. I, I, I I'm not sure. I agree about 2022, but we'll see what happens. Like it's hard to tell the history while it's happening. I that guess you true. know maybe, maybe the maybe the common thing to say here is that it does sound like the beginning of a decade, which is where we are, right? Like <laughs> yep. maybe that's the bottom line is that we still haven't figured out where we're going because I was going to like what's a what's a track that I really liked from this year that felt like. Uh, early 2000s um, hospital by Madison Cunningham great mm. but but sounds like that early 2000s Cheryl Crow era um, and there's a lot of music that I think that has that vibe so I think it just sounds like the beginning of a decade well the funny thing is that there's parts of this decade the parts that sounds like the middle of the decade numb little bug by M Bayhold sounds like something Sarah Borelli's would have put out in 2006. It does absolutely would. Anyway, we were we were in the middle of the questions. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. Um, all right, so I guess we've we've settled on Harry Styles winning question number one. Is that true? I think so. But mm. uh, you know, antihero, I think was going to have more legs than we realize. I hope sure. so. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I would like for it to. I really do like that song. All right, question number two um, is our sort of a history question, like. If you could be a fly on the wall, experience soup to nuts, the beginning, middle, and end of the creation of either one of these songs up to and including the music video, which is the one that you want to say, like, how, all right, how did the sausage get made? Any hero by far. Um, because oh, this is not even close. Yeah, yeah because I kind of, 
I want to see her in the room with Jack Antonov. And more importantly, I want to see her in the room where Jack Antonov convinced her the remix was a good idea. Oh, God. We never got to that part. No, we didn't. We didn't. Where Jack Antonov is singing. Yeah. Stop, Jack. Stop. No, please. I love bleachers, but this is not working at all. Well, also the minor changes to the lyrics. I'm like, oh, no. Atrocious. For me, I would want to see anti-hero come together because for me, that would start on a midnight in Taylor Swift's gigantic manner with her alone in her giant house going insane. And she's probably yeah. drunk on one of those screw top roses, which which is a great <laughs> moment. I love on Maroon because old, like that a screw top rose in somebody's record player. I'm like, are you in my condo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. OK, I can get behind that. And the thing is, like, Harry's a sexy baby. I don't need to know anymore. I don't I don't need more information about Harry Styles. I am curious. Like Harry has kept pretty firm control over his image. But as it was hints at. Maybe there's more going on than we realize. Maybe more I'll, I'll, going on under the sexy baby exterior. I may. I cannot believe how many times we've said sexy baby in this <laughs> podcast. I can't believe you can't believe it. Um, listen, yeah. I may come to regret saying this, but Harry, just stand there and look pretty. <laughs> I don't. I don't need more. I just don't. Um, maybe he'll surprise the hell out of me and be really deep and say something profound. Um, but. It hasn't happened album, yet. He's three albums in. If it was going to happen, it feels like it would have already. Um, kind of. Uh, anyway. Know, there's, there's there's songs on there that I think hint at a, a, a deeper Harry than you would get from his uh, big hits. But that, like they're not getting pushed. Like I kind of wish for as much as Harry Styles wants to be seen as one of those, the singer-songwriter types like Bowie or, da- or Peter Gabriel, that he's not leaning into that. He's leaning into the very dumbest common denominator of his sound. And I'm like, Niall Horn is right there and he does this better than you. Poor Niall. Anyway, uh, here we are at question number three. I am assuming a fan favorite question. Megan the Stallion. She's going to get up to a night of hot girl shit as she does. One assumes. Um, We all support Megan the Stallion at this podcast, just to be very clear. Um, (laughs) Yes. She's going to put on a playlist as she preps for that night of said hot girl shit. And one and only one of these two songs is going to appear on that playlist. Mark, for now and forever, which one of these two girl, which one of these two songs is hot girl shit? I heard in reviewed Traumazine this year, Antihero is this without my country mile. I don't know. I think Megan can find stuff to relate in as in a anti-hero. But which one is hot girl shit? Like that's the I have, that's uh, the thing. I have driven to the karaoke bar and torn down the place with as it was. Oh, it's that, great at karaoke. I agree yeah. with you there. Like for me, that's for such a, you know, song about being miserable and how things aren't the same as they used to be like that. It, it, it kills like people really get amped for that one. I I'm going with as it was. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Like it's one of those things where, yeah, Megan Taylor. I could see that. I could see that. Mm-hmm. But is it is it this track? I don't I don't quite think so. Not not it not in the hot girl sense. I think there's an alternate universe where for when she does the uh the re-recording of Shake It Off, she can put a Megan verse on there. Oh my 
God. Can we have that happen? I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it could happen. No, I want that to happen. Absolutely. I'll take it. That sounds good to me. No, that sounds amazing. Like, and look, not going to lie, the tunnel of butts when they remake the video. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Just picture it. It could. Oh, I don't. No, want to I'm be not invo- going to do that. Take that back. No, I don't want to be involved. I'm just imagining the discourse. Uh, oh, I don't. Oh, no. I put no, that in the no, universe. No, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 no. Okay. Listen. Um, in the end, I think ultimately, like, if we're just going by the sound over the lyrics, it's as it was. That's it. I think okay. that like the song itself is just it bops along a little bit quicker. And that's, I think, ultimately what we're looking for insofar as we have any clue what we're looking for. And he, here's the thing. If Megan does record a verse for Shake It Off, it's going to be better than Kendrick's verse on Bad Blood. Undoubtedly. Oh, Undoubtedly. It'll definitely be better than uh, the, the rap bridge Taylor has in that song. And it will also be better than Kendrick's verse on Bad Blood. Yeah, well, that's but, not hard. And now, the fourth and most important question, not just of this show. But the most important question that anyone's ever asked, William Shatner, the Shatman, the Shatmeister, he's going to do a William Shatner version of one and only one of these two songs. Todd, w- which one of these songs must be shot upon? Okay. Antihero is basically already a dramatic monologue. That's correct. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if there are not people, like, auditioning by just reading the lyrics verbatim already, like it will happen soon. That said, William Shatner could do some interesting things with as it was. I don't disagree, but I just think it's a slam dunk for antihero. Oh yeah, absolutely, it, it is. It, I don't easily. think it, I like to me. This is sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we really struggle with this one. Not not <laughs> this week. Not this episode. Well, how much dignity do we want Shatner to have in this monologue? Because, like, here's the thing. I think that as it was, if you stretch it out out over, like, an eight-minute ambient piece, could be kind of incredible. Whereas, like, Antihero, it's it's quippy for him. I feel like it, it'd be almost a little too pithy for him in that same way. I think for him over as it was, there's almost something poetic for him saying that in this world, it is just us. You know, it's not the same as it was. Yeah, the more I think about it, actually, anti-hero might throw Shatner a bit because it requires you to uh, first pronounce that he's a sexy baby. Oh, I thought capable of regret. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, it requires (laughs) self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I still like (sighs) like Shatner's narcissism is not disguised as anything. No, like the third verse might throw him. Here's the thing. Yeah. Shatner. I think Shatner has good taste in music, and also I think Shatner's a good actor. I know, I know, I know. It's me. Hi, on the phone. I, I truly, I, I, I think that he's actually very good at what he does. Um, and I think that you know, I enjoy listening to William Shatner's. Like I, people always think I'm doing this to clown on Shatner, and there, Shatner clowns on himself so much. I don't need to do anything. Like there's nothing for me to say about him that he hasn't already said. Um, I don't think he's very self-aware that he's doing that, but like, do I think he's a good enough actor to make antihero into a really interesting dramatic monologue? Yes, absolutely. I do. I don't just because he, David Boreanaz doesn't really understand Angel's whole deal, but listen, (laughs) I watched all five seasons of Angel, even the bad ones. So like, maybe I'm making a bad argument. The point is, (laughs) I think that, um, 
I think that Shatner could do it very well. I, be, I believe I believe in you, Bill. I'm not sure how we how we uh, fell on that one. I it's all over the place. It is. I still stand by Antihero being the the one. Okay. I think it's so, as it was. I think he's got. I I think there is enough lines that will draw out the dramatic melancholy in his in his performance. So I think um, kind of interestingly that means that as it was is starting to pull ahead a little bit here. All right. Well, in the question that means, department, that means we have to go to our readers to the videotape. I mean, yes. And by readers, I mean, listeners, excuse me, <laughs> but we have to let them have their say. Yeah. So let's go to those comments. <laughs> All right. I saw this last night. All right. Kim Putland writes the anti-hero music video features a giant Taylor Swift wearing a button that says vote for me for everything. So for this poll, I must honor her wishes. Nice. It, it also <laughs> features a part where the um, the one in the onesie uh, in the body suit, suit like has a chalkboard up that says, everyone will betray you. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Goals. you actually voted for as it was. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Finley Lindbergh writes, I'm sorry, but all of Harry Styles' music sounds like it was built in a factory to be played in a TJ Maxx. Ooh, I don't agree. I don't think it's that, boy, that's like a, that's obviously this is a joke that I'm taking too seriously, but like, to me that stuff, like the stuff that you hear in like big box stores and even like at like a Starbucks or something, has an, a tendency to be very front heavy on the production, right? Like everything's just on the front, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no depth. Um, and I don't know that I agree that there's absolutely no depth on that album. It's kind of a little bit there, but I'm not quite sure it's that kind of bad. It's more the Armani outlet or a Hollister for the Harry Styles album. <laughs> Got him. All right. Let me see here. Kyle Boyd just writes uh, in asterisks, emotional support comment for Lena, who has to talk about Taylor Swift for a full episode. Thank you. I think yeah, it went I mean, up. I, I was going to say, I think it went fine, but that's... You did really well. You did really well. I'm going to die. I don't think the Taylor, the, the Swifties are coming for you. Just I never, think you did. never put this episode on YouTube. That's it. <laughs> this is a really good episode, and I may. Fuck! All right. <laughs> Taylor All right. fans and Olivia Wilde fans are, gonna, are going to destroy me. I All think right. I have detracted enough attention by saying that Red might be her worst album, so... All right. Keep saying things like that, Mark. Yes, and okay. At the end. Gator McKinley writes, on most of Harry's house, Harry seems to suffer from the Anthony Kiedis slash Pat Monahan disorder of picking nonsensical lyrics because they fit the meter and the vibes better than actual songwriting. I mean, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Michael Jackson, boy. Go home, get ahead, light speed, internet. What the fuck am I talking about? I know, but like truly Michael Jackson's whole thing was that a lot of times he would just take lyrics that it didn't matter what the words meant. It, it's that they sounded right. Like that's the thing that Michael Jackson famously talked about doing. And it worked very well for him. Everything else about Michael Jackson aside, that was pretty effective. Yeah. So, but Matt Healy of the 1975 has said that too. Yeah. I just think that, I think that it really, it can cut both ways. Right. So yeah. do we think that the song is actually hurting because the lyrics are kind of nonsensical? My answer is no. I don't think the lyrics are nonsensical with either song, to be honest. I think that it's more of, it's more, I get 
I get a, a starker personal connection that comes off of Taylor's work, whereas Harry Styles feels very, I do not want to be stuck in that state which he is in. Yeah, I could agree with that. I think it's just that when I look at it on the whole, that song does sound a little bit as though the lyrics are designed to just sound as though they go along with what the song sounds like. And it succeeds at that. And the lyrics, therefore, become less important, almost more percussive than meaningful. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I guess this is pronounced not M, but not M writes, I think As It Was is not only a song about self-loathing, but it's also just a dark reflection of the current zeitgeist. Twitter being bought by Elon Musk, Kanye going off the deep end, the war in Ukraine, nothing is the same as it was, and we don't really know when the times will be good again. It is a very 2022 song, yes. I I, 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 think, I think that's a good point. I agree, for sure. You know, well, there's one of my favorite songs of the year um, is by a, a band called Martha. It's called Please Don't Take Me Back. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a reflection on the fact that if somebody actually took you back in time, you would hate all those other fucking times too. You'd, you'd remember how fucking sad you were, how miserable you were. Um, and I think that as bad as things are, and they're absolutely horrific, um, and I don't want to try and brighten up dark times too much, but like, I don't know. <laughs> things are often bad. Things are often bad. The funny thing all is right. that one of my favorite songs of this year is by the Wombats. It's called People Don't Change People, Time Does. And oh. it's... And it's extremely pithy on an album that's not particularly good, but it's also very much about, you know what, as much as we're as much as we can aspire to be better, as much as we can aspire to change people, ultimately we will fail. And ultimately we will just have to keep charging forward with whatever we are otherwise doing. Hmm. All right. Um, Alex writes, Taylor Swift has the vibe of a woman who has been to a lot of therapy and internalized none of it. But I don't have to personally interact with her, and it definitely makes for more interesting music, so she wins. I agree. I disagree. Explain why you think that that's true. Because I feel like Taylor has, I feel like Taylor, whatever therapy she's gone to, she's gotten the wrong lessons out of it, and it's made for far more interesting art. And see, I take the exact opposite point, which is that she learned exactly what she needed to, which is that sometimes she's going to be good Taylor, and sometimes she's going to be shit Taylor. And you didn't have to lean in per se, but the thing is that she's an artist and she makes music and it's okay if when you're making music, you don't always leave it in the fucking drafts because to some extent, that's the purpose of art. And I think she's gotten better at knowing where the line is. So I actually think that she's gone to therapy and is, I mean like what, I don't fucking know anything, but if I were to presuppose that Taylor Swift is in therapy, my conclusion would be that I actually think she's gotten something out of it. Mike, I think she absolutely has gotten something out of it. But my counterpoint is that the most therapeutic album I heard all year was Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And I have I have 45 minutes of complicated opinions on that that I will not want to regurgitate here. Um, <laughs> but I have a video. It's, it's that's long- another pandemic hangover album. For yes, sure. absolutely. Um, but also it's an album that I think brings up the worst parts of therapy culture where it's all about, where it's all about self-improvement, but without self-awareness of your larger circumstance. And I think Taylor Swift is internally transfixed by her larger circumstance around her. And I think she's just kind of rolling with the punches. I think therapies for all of its self-empowerment 
She's learning the wrong, but all, she's learning the wrong lessons traditionally, but the right lessons for her. So I'll agree with you there. All right. Brian Scott writes, put the dad rock back on. I don't know if this means like this is an old person who doesn't relate to these new songs or this is pro Harry Styles. It could go either way. <laughs> so I'll, I'll speak to this. Um, a great dad rock album. And in other words, I will describe as the quintessential dad rock album of this year is the Mountain Goats album Bleed Out. Um, it is absolutely phenomenal. It is entirely a dad rock album based upon 80s and 90s action movies, but with the moral framing that could actually challenge all those underlying archetypes, but also kind of realize why those archetypes are awesome. It's amazing. I, I no, I think that's great. And, and very quickly, um, if see, it's interesting because I don't know what dad rock is anymore, but if you're like Gen X, right? Like, let's say like dads are Gen X now, right? And even millennials. So I would say um, if you're looking for music that's going to appeal to you, I will recommend the album I've been recommending for the last two months now, which is the best expert in a dying field, like very nineties alt rock. I mean, like it's not, it's literally not dad stuff. Cause it's, 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 it's a woman led band, but like the rest of the band is men. They're very good. Um, very good musicians, extremely good. And the production's great. And if you like nineties music, like nineties alt rock, boy, is that fucking there? Um, so there you go. Since we're, since we're recommending records. All right. Morgan writes, Wait, as it was is a Harry Styles song. I just assumed it was a fluke indie pop TikTok hit because I only ever hear its bridge, usually backtracking some randos 10 second video montage of their beach vacation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, That makes me feel old. Harry Styles strikes me as the first person who's ever had a fluke indie hit on purpose. Okay, All right. That's that's how I would describe that song. I have a question and it's a question you're going to hate, Todd, but you might still have an answer. What is the best song to come out of TikTok this year? Oh, I don't know. I don't listen to TikTok. That, you, like, but you still have song? to know. You still know if a song comes out that it's a song that predominantly got big because of TikTok. I'm tempted to say unholy. <laughs> I've, it's really grown on me. Do you have one? Do you have one with Unholy? It's being deflected from the worst songs on my list by every remix that rips out the groove and gives it a tempo. Like the Disclosure uh, remix of the song is shockingly good. Do you All have right. one, Mark? Do you have a TikTok song? Um, Numb Little Bug immediately jumps to mind. Um, I do one, like that one, yeah. That's a great uh, TikTok song. Um, I love that Smoking Out the Window had a great TikTok meme. Um, and I love Smoking Out the Window. It's a phenomenal song. Um did something in the orange blow up because of TikTok or was it more on streaming adjacent? That's a good question. I would like it's uh, like this guy was not known beforehand. So I have to assume. Well, it's TikTok, it's always TikTok. he does have a TikTok presence. I reviewed him back in 2019, 2020. It's uh, Zach. Zach Bryan. Right? Zach Bryan. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you go to it like this guy has groundswell beneath him like in terms of he's not on a major at all and he's selling out everywhere this is like a legit indie hit in the same way that not even the way that chris stapleton was because chris stapleton was signed on mercury nashville this guy is legit huge so it, it he's got the streaming side locked down and it's tiktok adjacent too so unless you can put a morgan wallen song which Oy, I right. listen, I would say oh, I know you're trying to get past the top, but I have an answer for this. That's why I asked. Um, <laughs> I have. Are you all familiar with 
uh, since we're talking about the success of Kate Bush, um, there's a really weird young person who put out a song called Girlfriend. Her name uh, is Hemlock Springs. I've heard the Didn't name we watch of the that, the first season of that? <laughs> no, that's Hemlock Grove, smartass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But Hemlock, Hemlock Springs' girlfriend is great. Um, the woman who sings that song, um, it's like nerdy, insecure, awkward, like black girl rock, and it's great. Um, and also, she sounds like Kristen Schaal. I don't know how else to put it. Really, really good song and comes out of TikTok. One last comment, which I've been trying to get to. <laughs> right, one last comment from, I feel like this guy's told me how to pronounce his name. I can't remember it. So I'm going to say Peter Theriot. He writes, with Lena's admission that she's always liked, look what you made me do. This episode might set a new record for baffling Lena takes in a single hour. Could be. I don't know. I didn't feel like no. <laughs> I didn't feel like there was uh, any really baffling takes here. I, but I, I am never always know surprised by what people are surprised by. That's certainly, certainly true. Um, we all remember our own continuity better than everyone else's. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that leaves us to the results. And uh, for once, I know, I know that neither of you know who won. That's true. Because it was so close that Patreon only listed it as 50% to 50%. (laughs) And since... And since they don't show me the actual vote totals anymore, I had to download the results and spreadsheet my way to the answer. Damn. This is amazing. I'm so (laughs) proud of myself. I can't believe that I did this. This is a great pairing. We never get them this good. I'm patting myself on the back so hard. I mean, the the goodness of the pairing is not necessarily the closest of the results, but this was a good pairing and the results were incredibly close. Okay. Who, Who do you think, who do you think pulled it out? I don't know. I don't know. I think because the thing is that like I sometimes give our listeners too much credit and sometimes not enough Um, to me as it was is just easier as a listen. Like if if any when we do new stuff, a lot of times it's just them listening to things for the first time. Mm -hmm. Right. They listen to each song once and then they vote for whichever one. And if it's that, then I think as it was, is going to inch it out because I think that's the one that like has the best surface. How many of my oh. fans are seated in your audience? I need to figure this out. That's uh, a good question. <laughs> because they know where I stand on this. Um, I, Although I'm with Lena, I think as it was, wins this, although it's going to be close. All right. For a total of 500 votes to 494, it's me. Hi, what? I'm the winner. It's me. <laughs> wow. Congratulations, Taylor's By first time on the show votes. and she wins. <laughs> uh, By six votes, a squeaker. I think this triggers an automatic recount. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. This was a good episode. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming in, Mark, host of Spectrum Pulse. This was a, a really good episode. I'm really glad. And if you liked it, you can support us on Patreon. Go to Song vs. Song on Patreon. Give us a dollar. And if you do that, you get our bonus episodes where you guys pick the movie we watch every month and you can uh, hear what we think about it. This month we did My Fair Lady because you guys usually pick musicals. You don't have to pick musicals, but you do. And uh, 
Boy, I think that movie is about as long as this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say I had one more question before the episode ends, since this is our year-end episode. Oh, um, go ahead. If you what's what's an album that you listen to and say it's me? Hi, I'm this album. It's me. Like an album you re- that you really well, connect. What album with. is me? It me. Yeah. Oh, geez, I don't know. I don't re- relate to music. I enjoy to like. I enjoy music to have a glimpse at everyone other's interesting life. Um, I don't know. What's your answer? Uh, mine is a, an album uh, by a duo called Black Dresses, who technically are not even together anymore. It's called Forget <laughs> Your Own Face. It's 20 minutes of insane noise pop, uh, and it fucking rules if you've not listened to it. I highly recommend it. This I came through my uh, my music club this year. It is so, so good. And even if you don't like noisier music like that, here's the deal. It's 20 minutes long. I guarantee you can get through it. When you get to the end of that 20 minutes, you're going to want to listen to it again. Shout out to Black Dresses because they're both in Toronto. And they're also put out a pretty a pretty solid black back catalog that I've reviewed probably about three or four times. Absolutely worth hearing. They are critical darlings for a reason. Um, best way I describe it is Industrial Kesha. <laughs> and it's awesome. Um, if I'm going to go for an album that really resonated with me this year, I'm going to go with Gang of Youths, uh, Angel in Real Time. Um, it is an Australian U2, and it goes off. It is most anthemic music that I feel this year. It is so soaring, so powerful, also deeply emotive, also deeply cerebral in weird ways, and it is my shit. And now we know everybody a little bit better, except for Todd, who is inscrutable <laughs> as ever. The, how about The Loneliest Time? Wow. That's a good album. That's great, a good album. great record. Completely underrated. It's just that it's got a lot of, like, eh, middle in the middle. You know what I mean? So the great tracks are great. Like, the first three tracks, incredible. The title track, amazing. And there's a couple of them there that I, that I also really like. I mean, I, I I saw her. I saw her uh, on tour before the album dropped, and um, I would say "Find Yourself" or whatever has has also lodged great. in my heart pretty hard. Great track. That's Beautiful. one of the other ones on there. All right, what All right. are we doing next episode? Oh, of course, first episode of the new episode. year. <laughs> oh, we're gonna take a long break because we're doing these a little early, and when we get back, we're gonna do a like a. I think this is like a softball of an episode. Oh, we boy. will be doing. Uh, Who Will Save Your Soul by Jewel versus If It Makes You Happy by Sheryl Crow. Oh, yes. That is the easiest <laughs> one you've ever given to me. Yeah, I get that one. That's, God, that's that's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to warm, we're going to ease back in. Okay. All right. To the, to the new year. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody, for, geez, God, we've been talking. Yes, we have. <laughs> where, right. Mark, where can people find you before we go? Sure. You can find me at Spectrum Pulse, um, subsidiary channels, Billboard Breakdown, where I go through the random inanities and insanities of the Billboard Hot 100. It's bonkers. We got a SZA album bomb coming next week. Um, that's going to be fun. The album's kind of okay, not great. It's bloated. Um, you get all coming in for the year end. Going forward, I also have a Patreon at Spectrum Pulse, and I've got about six albums I'm looking to cover before the end of the year. Then year end list of the worst hit songs, best hit songs, best songs, and best albums. Best album is going to be a top 50 list because apparently I have no life in listening to over 200 albums this year. So we'll see how that goes. Hooray. Thanks for doing this, Mark. Thank you so much. 
Oh, this is a blast. I enjoy this every year. And thank you, everybody, who listened to us for another year. Hope you have a good end of 2022. We will see you in 2023. So long. Bye. Bye.